you guys join me in prayer real quick? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning, for waking us up this morning and bringing us here. God, I thank you so much for the worship, and thank you, Lord, uh, for the sacrifice and the willingness to serve, Lord, from our brothers and sisters from Texas that came from such a long way to come and join us uh, this morning. We thank you so much for them. Uh, God, I thank you for an opportunity to worship together, to eat together, and to sit under the teaching of your word. And I just pray, God, as we open up your word, that you would speak to our hearts and our lives, and that you would help us apply your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you guys. Welcome to Swerve Church. My name is Danny. I'm the lead pastor here. In case you don't know me, I want to welcome everybody here this morning. Thank you so much for making an effort to be here this morning. We are in the book of Jonah, like Stephen just mentioned. Uh, Just a quick recap. Jonah was a prophet who spoke on behalf of God, and Jonah receives an assignment from God, which, of course, he doesn't want any part of. And so he runs the opposite direction from what God asks him to do. And throughout it all, Jonah receives mercy, he receives forgiveness, and eventually he decides to obey God after a series of unfortunate events. And he finally says, I'm going to obey God and I'm going to deliver this message to the people of Nineveh. And last week we kicked off chapter 3 in the book of Jonah, and we saw that both Jonah and the Ninevites, they were both loved by God. It wasn't just a one rebel that was running away from God that God loved and pursued, but it was a whole nation of people that was rebellious and running away from God that God pursued and loved. And God extended love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness to both, to both sides, both to Jonah and the Ninevites. And they're both given an opportunity to repent, to turn from their sin, and in turn, they receive love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness, and is extended from God to both parties. And so today we're going to continue to see the repentance of Nineveh. We're going to pick it up where we left off last week. In fact, I want to read the verse that we left off on last week. If you have your Bibles or in your message notes, all the verses are there for you to track along. And it's up on the screen as well. This is the verse that we finished off last week. Jonah chapter 3 verse 5 says this. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth. From the, say this part with me guys, from the what? From the greatest of them to the least. Maybe you want to underline that or circle that, put an asterisk next to that. It's so interesting that the author makes this, uh, this distinction here. He says that it was from the greatest of them to the least. What, who was he talking about? Let me ask you guys a question. What does a great leader look like? What does a great leader look like? Think about your favorite team, all right? Think about your favorite coach. Think about that supervisor or that manager at work that you really look up to and you admire the way that they work, that they're so good at what they do. Think about that famous speaker or that writer, that thinker, that author. Every time, that, every time he or she releases a new book, you're at Barnes & Noble's picking it up. Right? Think about that person, that, that person you love to listen to and read. What makes them a good leader? What makes them, what makes them that good leader? What qualities do they have? You know, good leadership can make all the difference, right? A good leader, a good boss, a good supervisor can either make your workplace like a toxic place to work at. You don't want to go to work because it's so toxic. You dread waking up on Monday morning. You don't want to be there. Or a good leader can make the place a place where you can personally grow and you can innovate and you can, you know, create an atmosphere of creativity and innovation. Good leadership on a sports team can build up the morale of a team after a tough loss. Anybody saw the Yankees and Red Sox? Anybody saw that? Right? A good coach will come around and help, you know, help celebrate the wins along the way and help build up the morale after a tough loss. 
A good leader will challenge and stretch and motivate his players to live out to their fullest potential. Poor leadership, however, can have a team feel deflated and discouraged and disunified. As we read today's passage, as we finish up chapter 3 of Jonah, we're going to look at a leader's change of heart. And we're going to see how he goes from leading an entire nation uh, to worship and sacrifice the false gods and have this false ideology to ultimately believing and submitting to the one true God of the Bible. This leader was the king of Nineveh. Now, as we study these verses, I want you to think about this. Where has God given you an opportunity to lead? Where has God given you an opportunity to lead? Leaders influence, right? And every single one of us have an opportunity to lead. Leaders influence. Leaders set culture. And as followers of Jesus, we've all been called to make disciples of all nations, which means, guess what? That if you're obedient to God's call, you have an opportunity to lead, okay? So the question I have for you is, do you see yourself as a leader? I need you to start seeing yourself as a leader, Maybe you, as you hear me talk about this, you're like, man, Danny, I ain't, I'm not a leader. I'm not, you know, I'm not that go-getter. I'm not a, a pastor, a missionary, evangelist, whatever you want to. I'm none of those things. I'm not a leader, Danny. Well, I need you to start seeing yourself as a leader because there are people all around us that are hopeless and helpless because they do not have a relationship with Jesus. And perhaps God is calling you to make a difference by leading somebody. So let's look at the good qualities of a leader as the king of Nineveh has a change of heart. Let's see if there's anything that we can learn. Here's what a good leader does. Number one in your notes, if you're you're taking notes right there, you can write this down. A good leader puts God first. Look at what Jonah chapter 3 verse 6 says. When the word reached, when word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, he took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Guys, notice what the king of Nineveh does. He takes off his what? What does he take off? His robe. Are we, are we reading the same verse? He takes off his robe, right? He takes off his robe. And the robe was represent, representative of, of the king's power, of his authority, of his riches. But as the word of God's impending judgment gets to him, the king gets off his throne and he takes off his robe to put on sackcloth and to sit in ashes. You know, I mentioned this last week that the putting on a sackcloth was symbolic of sorrow and mourning and, and repentance. And the words, the words of the prophet Jonah really cut through the pride of the king and the arrogance of the king. And he realized that he had wrongly and selfishly put other gods and other deities and even himself before the God Almighty. And so the question for us to ask is who is the king of your life? Are you king? Are you Almighty? Are you ruling? Are you reigning? Or is Christ king? Is he in his rightful place? Is Christ ruling? Is he reigning? Is he in first place? Is he Lord? That's the question you need to ask yourself. Who is king of your life? You know, the reason so many of us have a problem with God is because we want to be him. We want to have control. We want what we want, when we want it, how we want it. And to make Christ king and Lord means that he is first above everything else and everyone else. The king got off his throne and he took off his robe. Do you need to do the same? Does God have first place in your life? 
You know, I love what Matthew 6.33 says. In fact, why don't we read this verse out loud together. It's a verse in the New Testament that helps us understand what rightful place God should be in. Matthew 6.33. You guys ready? Let's read it out loud. It's on your notes and on the screen. Ready? Go. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Is God in first place in your life? Here's the second thing a good leader does. Number two in your notes. A good leader leads with humility. Jonah 3.6, once again, says this. The king got up from his throne and put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. Now listen, no one likes a leader or a boss or a coach who's arrogant and cocky and doesn't know it all, right? Nobody likes that guy. And we've all met that person who gets on our nerves because they think they have all the right answers. They think they're right all the time. They want to be the star. They want to be the center of attention. And if you haven't met that person, it might be because it's you, right? (laughs) But there's something about a person who leads with humility. There's something about a leader who is selfless, who is sacrificial, who is kind. That's someone you want to be around of, right? That's someone you want to be around of all the time. That's someone that you're willing to follow. The picture of the king getting off his throne and removing his robe, then to top it off, putting on, putting on sackcloth and sitting on top of ashes, this is the ultimate picture of humility. You would never see a king do something like that. It's the ultimate picture of humility. Now, obviously, before this moment, the king of Nineveh was not a model leader. His heart was proud, and as he went, so followed his people. But he's experienced a change of heart. And he's humbling himself before God. Here's the question for you to ponder this morning. Is your heart proud? Is your heart proud? Or do you have a humble spirit that is dependent on God? Not on your own accolades and not in your own accomplishments. I love what Proverbs 18 verse 12 says. Let's read this verse out loud together. Ready? Go. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. But before honor comes what? comes humility. Here's the third thing that a, a good leader does. Number three in your notes. A good leader sets the spiritual tone. A good leader sets the spiritual tone. Look at what it says, Jonah chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. It says this. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh by order of the king and his nobles. No person or animal herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth. And everyone must what? Say this out loud. Ready? Everyone must call out earnestly to God. You know, before this humbling moment, the spiritual tone set by the king was one of following after the pagan gods. He led the country to be ruthless and violent. In fact, the Ninevites were known for their beheadings and for their their ruthless and violent and cruel executions and impalements. They would even flay the, the skin off of their prisoners. And this was all under the watch of the king and the leadership of the king. But within that context, how much more amazing is this statement right here? The king, the leader of that ruthless and cruel nation, is now setting the spiritual tone for the nation. He's off his throne. He's taken off his robe. He's humbled himself before the Lord. He's mourning and he's repenting of his sin before the nation. And then he says, everyone must earnestly call out to God. You know, as the leader goes, so will the people. 
And remember this, that you are all leaders. You are all leaders. There are, there are people that God has placed within your sphere of influence to humbly lead. How are you setting the spiritual intensity? You know, parents, we're leaders in our homes. If you have children at home, God has entrusted us with some, with some special souls to shepherd. And as parents, we're their first shepherds. We're their first leaders. Are we setting the spiritual tone at home? Do you pray with your children regularly? Do you read scripture with, with your children? Do you bring them with you to church? If they were to examine how you spend your time and how you spend time in God's word and in prayer, would you say that you give them a good example or model to follow? How about in your workplaces? How are you setting the spiritual tone at work? You might be thinking, but Danny, I work in a secular place. How am I supposed to set the spiritual tone at work? Well, listen, I love what Burials does in his job. I'm going to put him on the spot. I love what he does at his workplace. He works a secular job. And the people in his workplace, they know that he's a follower of Christ through his behavior, through his words, through his actions. He sets the spiritual tone and atmosphere in his workplace. So much so that whenever they do a lunch or some sort of food a gathering or party or whatever, guess who, gets, who, guess who they ask to pray for the food? Like, you know, Stephen, the Christian guy, would you mind blessing the food? He sets the spiritual tone in his workplace. How are you doing that? How are you setting the spiritual tone? It means that you're leading the way in drawing closer to God, that you're personally shepherding your heart, yourself, and you're drawing closer to God so that you can help others do the same. Now, for the latter half of our passage, we're going to switch from how one person could effectively lead to impact others to how we can corporately lead and help each other because we are better together. Everybody say, we are better together. There are ways that we, can, that we can be encouraged. There's ways that we can grow corporately that we would never, ever, ever be able to do alone. Now, listen, I'm afraid that some of y'all don't get it. Some of you guys don't understand this. And this is, we talk about this every Sunday, but you don't understand the importance of family and community and being together. Guys, the church is not a building. The church is not a Sunday gathering. The church is a family and as a family, we can work together to help, draw one, to help draw one another closer to Christ. Now, when you just do this individual walk with Christ, you're getting half of the formula. And it's not until you understand the importance of community and family and the local church that you're going to miss a huge part of your walk with Christ. And some of you don't get it. Let me help you see it. Here's what we can do together to grow as a church to be closer, to draw closer as a church. Here's what we can do. As a church, number one in your notes, we can earnestly call out to God. We can earnestly call out to God. Jonah 3.8 says this, Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Circle where it says right there, everyone. This was a corporate call to follow God. Now listen, did you ever find yourself in a season of life where you didn't want to worship, you didn't want to pray, you didn't want to go to church, you didn't want to get involved in life group? Do you ever feel a season in life where you're just not motivated spiritually? Maybe you find yourself there now. Did you ever find yourself in a place like that? Well, listen, guess what happens when you're in community? Guess what happens when you're surrounded by people that care about you and care for you and that are passionate about pursuing Christ together? Do you know what happens? We can together earnestly call out to God together. 
We can encourage each other to earnestly call out to God together. And this is why community and relationship is so important. There will be moments in your life where you will not be as motivated. You will not be as encouraged to to go to church or be involved in community. You're going to pass through difficult seasons in your life that will discourage you. But as a church, we can spur one another on to earnestly call out to God. And this is why Sundays are so important. No matter the type of week you've had, there's something special about getting together, right, and casting all your cares on Him and about getting together and worshiping corporately, praying corporately, opening the Bible together, reading and studying Scripture together, crying out to God collectively. There's something special about that. Here's number two. Here's what we can do as a church together. Number two, we can confess and repent our sins. Jonah chapter 3, verse 8 and 9 says this, each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. This is so interesting. The king helped lead the people of Nineveh to confess and repent of their sin. We read last week that collectively the people of Nineveh were responding to the warning by wearing sackcloth. Corporately as a nation, they were turning away from their sin and false idols towards the one and true almighty God. And together as a church, we can too help each other confess and repent of our sin. We can encourage each other to draw closer to God and become more like Christ as we grow in repentance and holiness. I love what James chapter 5 verse 16 says. We read this last week, but guess what? We're going to read it again this week. Let's read this verse out loud together. You guys ready? Go. Therefore, confess your sins to one another And pray for one another so that you may be healed. Now, if you ever ask yourself, why do we need to confess our sins to one another, Danny? Isn't confessing to God enough? Well, listen, we confess to God for forgiveness, but we confess to one another for healing. That's what James tells us. That's why we need. And that's why I love Life Group, because it gives us an opportunity to do just that. We can be open and vulnerable with one another. We can be open to one and honest. We can be open and vulnerable. We, within that context, not only can we receive prayer and encouragement, we can also find healing. And if you haven't gone to a life group, if you haven't made it a priority, that's why you need to make it a priority and join us. Here's number three. I know I'm giving you guys a lot, so I'm talking fast. We're going we're gonna to work our way through this. Number three on your notes is this. Align our words and actions. What can we do as a church? As a church, we can align our words and actions. Here's what Jonah chapter 3, verse 10 says. It says, what does it say? That first part, read that out loud. What it says, God saw their actions. They had, that they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened with them, and he did not do it. Would you guys just circle, underline right there, where it says that God saw their actions. God saw the actions of the king and of Nineveh, which caused him to relent or to withhold his judgment on them. It wasn't simply paying lip service and and talking about it, but it was actually acting on that conviction. In the context of community, we can hold each other accountable. We can hold each other responsible, not only for what we say, but for how we live our lives. Guys, that's why community is so important. Because you can say that you're a Christian and you follow God's word, but if you're doing life alone, who's holding you accountable to hold it? In community, we can hold each other accountable. So often people struggle with church and they struggle with Christianity because the Christian's words don't align with how they live their life. 
The hypocrisy causes many to question God or to question their faith. But as a church community, we can repeatedly come to Scripture. We can remind ourselves not only of the hope of the gospel, but how the gospel is fleshed out in our everyday lives. God saw their actions and he showed them mercy. Here's the question for you to ask yourself today. As you examine your life, do your words and your actions align? Is there a disconnect between what you say and what you do? Part of the solution is to submit to community. Because in community, you can be held accountable and you can be encouraged towards living out your faith. Now, as we conclude our time, I want to draw a connection for you between the king's reaction and our king Jesus' response to the cross. As the king removed his robe to humble himself before God, Jesus took off his robe and left his throne in heaven in order to enter his creation. Our sin created an eternal chasm between us and God. And our sin merited the eternal judgment and punishment that the Ninevites deserve. We deserve Ninevites' punishment, Nineveh's punishment. But as the king and Nineveh receive mercy and grace, we too receive mercy and grace. And Jesus lives the perfect and sinless life that we couldn't live. And he dies in our place in order to pay the punishment for our sin. The power of the cross is that God's wrath for our sin was absorbed in Jesus' sacrifice. But the story doesn't end there. Because Jesus conquered the grave. Death couldn't hold them down. Sin, Satan, and death did not win. And in Jesus' death, we receive the forgiveness of sin. And in his resurrected life, we have newness of life and the promise that we can be made righteous and reunited with God. And if you're here today and you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, you're kicking the tires of Christianity, you don't quite know, then I want to give you an invitation to follow Christ, to put your faith in Him. In fact, if everybody would take out their connection cards for just a moment, I want to show you something that's on the back. If you're here today and you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, if you've fallen away, I want to invite you on the back. There's a, there's a, there's a section that says, Make Jesus Lord and Savior. I want to encourage you, if that's you, Today, to make that decision, to follow Him, put your faith in Him. The Bible says all you have to do is not go to church more, is not read your Bible more, is not pray more, is not help more little old ladies across the street, is to put your faith in Jesus. And you will be safe. That's it. And so this invitation is just for you to do that. You check it off, in a moment you'll have an opportunity to drop that connection card in the bucket, and we as your church family want to celebrate with you, we want to help you and give you your next steps. Would you guys pray with me as we conclude our time? Would you guys pray? Lord, would you help us to see the leadership responsibilities that you have given each of us in our homes, in our workplaces, in our community? Help us see that. Help us to see the importance of community and accountability and relationship. I pray that we would be a community that earnestly calls out to you, that confesses our sin to you and each other and aligns our words and our actions. Thank you, Jesus, for humbly taking our place on the cross and paying the punishment for our sin. Thank you, God, for giving us grace, forgiveness, and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.